0: Well, welcome everybody to the latest episode of Star, Cells, and God. This is the show where we explore discoveries taking place at the frontiers of science and discuss how those discoveries provide evidence for God's existence, God's nature, and the reliability of Scripture. My name is Fuz Rana. I'm a biochemist and a Christian apologist. And I also work for an organization called Reasons to Believe, Reasons to Believe is the organization that sponsors this podcast. If you wanna know more about Reasons to Believe, go to our website, www.reasons.org. You can also follow us on social media, rtb underscore official. And of course, last but not least, please go to our YouTube channel, Reasons to Believe, subscribe, you can get access to all kinds of great video content, exploring a wide range of questions involving science in the Christian faith, and then, of course, use the notification button so that you can be reminded the next time a new episode of Star Cells and God drops. Today, we're going to have a special edition of Star Cells and God where we're going to explore the question, how does Christianity and how does Islam interact with science? Right? These are two of the world's great monotheistic religions. How do they interact with science? Where do they share common ground? Where do they, do they display differences? And what really is the best religious perspective to adopt in light of modern day science? And I'm, I'm, I'm thankfully joined in studio today by Abdu Murray, who mm-hmm. is trained as a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, a Christian apologist. Yep. You head up an organization called Embrace the Truth, mm-hmm. and uh, you came from a uh, to Christianity from Islam, you converted right. from Islam to Christianity. That's so right. a great person to have to discuss this <laughs> yeah, issue.
1: Very much and and I
0: also have a, an Islamic background as well. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a, a Muslim home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I have some sense of Islam, mm-hmm. But I don't know that I would say that I'm an expert in Islamic yeah. theology, so mm-hmm. I'm going to defer to, to you uh, for for the conversation. Right. But uh, So thanks for being here. Oh, Andrew. it's
1: great to be here, Fuzz, and always uh, wonderful to partner with RTB in anything. Yeah. yeah, and
0: before I forget, I just want to make sure if people want to know more about you, your organization, mm-hmm. the, the types of uh, resources that you've produced... Uh, where yeah. can they go?
1: Well, they can go to our website, which is embracethetruth.org. Um, we have uh, the links to our videos on our YouTube channel and various podcasts all on the page. If you go to watch and li- read and listen, you'll get blogs and that kind of stuff as well. We have a YouTube channel. Um, it's um, it's not Embrace the Truth because someone already took that. It's abdu uh, Official. Um uh, I didn't want my name to be on it, but I had no choice. Um so if you go there, you'll find our YouTube okay. content as well. But uh, yeah, podcasts, uh, YouTube, and then embrace the truth.org. Okay. yeah,
0: okay. all right, well, let's let's jump into it. And uh, you know the the first really question is mm-hmm. this: It has to do with the the worldview from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. and worldview from an Islamic perspective. and mm-hmm. you know, which worldview gives the most robust framework for mm-hmm for contemporary science. And um, I think a lot of people who are watching this show are aware that it's oftentimes, I think, rightfully claimed Mm -hmm. uh, that that really the Christian worldview created a milieu Mm -hmm. in in Europe Mm -hmm. that laid the foundation for the birth of modern science and ultimately the flourishing of yep. modern science. Yeah. So, you know, just to, for people to appreciate this, there mm. and you can feel free to jump in. Yeah, yeah. So there are certain things that the, the Christian worldview uh, has with regard to nature mm-hmm. that really are necessary for the presuppositions of science. Mm. So, for example, the creation is good, mm-hmm. it's worth studying, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. um, that God is revealed through the creation. So Mm -hmm. studying the creation exposes us to Mm -hmm. God's fingerprints. Mm -hmm. Uh, God is provided for his creation through his providential care, Mm -hmm. or uh, coming out of creation itself. That's a motivation for science Mm -hmm. and technology, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, The the laws of nature are constant, Mm -hmm. which is a critical presupposition in science. You know, that human beings... Uh, have the wherewithal to study nature and to learn from mm-hmm. it because we're made in God's image. The creation is intelligible, mm-hmm. right? So this is, these are uh, views of of the creation that lead naturally to yeah. a, a framework that allows for for science to mm-hmm. flourish.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, uh, not only is it motivation, but I also would say that there's there's that um, a, a related word which is inspiration. Uh, which is the, the the desire to go and look and see what God has done? You know, I, you probably know better than me, but there's that quote that's often attributed to Francis Bacon, is it's that, "Oh God, as I study Your world, I find myself thinking Your thoughts after You." Uh, this kind of a thing, and it's like this sort of awe that 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 that, that uh, sort of impels mm-hmm. uh, us to look into the world that God has made. Um, and to be in awe of the one who indeed, did, indeed made it. I, I think about you know, those who study art history or so, someone who studies even theory of art and how it works and you get your PhD in this kind of a thing and then you look at a Rembrandt differently than you would otherwise. You look at it and think, my, my goodness, the genius is actually more stark than if I didn't know anything about art. Um, and so there's this effervescent um, delight that comes I think, from studying God's, God's creation. And, and it comes directly from God's Word. It's not like it's just something that's planted in our hearts, which I think it actually is, but I think it's encouraged by God's Word itself. And I think you find something similar in an Islamic framework. Um, now, there's some debate about that amongst Muslims. Uh, uh, not in the mainstream, but you do have people who sort of think that science and the, the delving into science is sort of an innovation, and it's dangerous to do it because um, you might come into conclusions that would contradict the revealed text of the Qur'an, for example. Uh, but that's, it. that's an interesting view because um, uh, it shuns sort of secular or seemingly secular ideas uh, as you're trying to subordinate them or put them on par with the Qur'an and God's revealed will, mm. um, and that's dangerous to do it. So some would be reactionary and say, don't even try just accept the way the world is and move along, which of course, almost no one really does. I mean, even the most hardcore sort of revisionist or, or, or reformation type Muslims would still believe in medicine. Um, yeah. you know, and that's a scientific thing and then scientific endeavor. They don't just like put poultices together and wish it was true or something. They actually engage in science. But <clears throat> when you look at the Quran itself, the, the central authority, authoritative text in Islam, and there are several, authoritative texts, but the central and most uh, reliable to the Muslim authoritative text, you see all throughout the Quran itself where God uh, uh, called Allah. Allah just means the God in Arabic. Um, now, it is a reference to a specifically Islamic version of God, but it but Arab Christians all over the world, um, or even non-Arab Christians in, in some South Asian countries refer to God as Allah. Um, partly because of the Islamization of certain parts of the world, but it means the God, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but the Quran makes specific and numerous references to signs. It's, it's called ayat. You know, uh, God has done this as a sign to you, and who, who amongst you does not recognize God in his signs? Right. These are the kind of language the Quran uses. So it actually um, doesn't necessarily say you should look at right. and explore the world through scientific means, but what it does say is that there are um, in the order of creation signals about God's hand behind it all, and you're supposed to recognize that by recognizing what those symbols and signs actually are. So there is a certain affinity here, where um, and which shouldn't surprise us. I mean, if Islam now Muslims would claim it's not derivative, that Islam is original, that everything else is derivative, that um, Islam is the original religion of Adam and Eve, for example, uh, and it's been changed and corrupted into Judaism and Christianity. But let's take a historical approach and say Islam is an emergent uh, religion that that if not borrows from very very heavily. Uh, develops from Judeo-Christian sources, the Torah, the the Gospels, etc. And because it's a fiercely monotheistic belief system in a God who is personal, not an impersonal, absolute creative force, but a personal God, you would expect there to be similar views on studying the world that God had made and um, Mm -hmm. uh, a view on special revelation and general revelation Uh, whether special through revealed texts and general through the revealed order of the world. So that's an an affinity we actually share with the vast majority of Muslims, even based on their sacred texts. So that's, I think, a great point where we can talk about common ground Mm -hmm. upon which to come and talk about the differences. Because there are significant differences, um, but um, this idea that the world can be known and can be discovered... Um, and reveal something about God and maybe yeah. who God is is a, is a point of common ground upon which we can come and talk.
0: yeah. well, you know, and, and this is a question and and again, you know, uh, I'm asking this somewhat naively,. Sure. you know, it, because you know my understanding is that in Islam, Allah is capricious, right? Mm-hmm. No one can know the will of Allah, what yeah. Allah wills, right? Mm-hmm. There's the doctrine of abrogation. Mm-hmm. and 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 the question then becomes if that is, Allah's nature, mm-hmm. right? Or, um, then why would we think that the world would be predictable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the one of the f- absolute central ideas in science is yeah. that what the world is today is what it was yesterday and what it will be tomorrow. Yeah. If you if that's not the case, science is impossible. Mm-hmm. And from a Christian worldview, you know, y- there are clearly statements about the, the fixity of the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when those ideas are introduced, it's always in conjunction with the fact that God is reliable, that God is trustworthy, mm-hmm. that God is unchanging, yeah. right? So you, a God who has those as his characteristics is going to produce yeah. a creation that would reflect that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, is that uh, true in Islam that that... You know, God is capricious in mm. the Islamic view, and how does that impact yeah. uh, the reliability of the of the world around us? Yeah. And what implications does it have for science?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, um, and I think this uh, goes into trying to understand um, that we we need to be careful when we talk about um, labeling certain things like God is capricious, Allah is capricious. But is he capricious through and through, or is he capricious in a certain aspect? Okay. So, um, uh, a, uh, and there's several sources uh, of this. I quoted one of my books um, uh, of Islamic theology and some of the commentators on Islam who would say, just what you said, one of the important things to know about God is that you can't know about God accept what he chooses to reveal to you in an extremely limited way. Now, I'm not saying that to a Muslim mindset, the Quran is limited, but Muslims believe that God is so infinite. In fact, there was a big philosophical thing in the early days of Islam, where can you actually describe God with attributes? Um, Because if you do, then you limit him to human understandings of greatness, or goodness, or compassion, or power. And so there was a whole thing on the via negativa. You can describe what God is not. God is not limited. God is not Bounded, so there was serious nervousness within Islam about I don't want to define God because if I do, even if He does it in in His own revelation, I get nervous about that because I'm I'm limiting Him in some way. The capricious part is typically about God's will in terms of human beings and interaction, and the way in which God is not bound by a moral law, in other words. So, um, if you do enough good things to get into heaven by whatever standard that exists in Islam, God's prerogative is to not give you heaven. He can throw you into hell if he wants to because he's not bound by this rule. Um, Does that apply, though, to a capricious, like like a, a way in which the universe is unpredictable? One could argue, well, why not there too? And there's no place in the Quran where it says that's not the case. But in Islamic theology, Quranic uh, sources, uh, Hadith literature, all this stuff, you do have this sense in which God is unchanging, uh, because mm-hmm. God has to be. Because if God changes, then He's subject to things, and things right. can affect Him. Um, and uh, which I think is an unsophisticated way to look at that. But um, that's one of the worries. So He right. is unchanging. Uh, <clears throat> so you have these two competing things, right? He's capricious, but He's unchanging. Well, if he's capricious, then he he can just do something and change his mind and all this. So there's a bit of a tension there. Um, But how that affects the created order, and the created world, is that um, uh, what he reveals to us, uh, according to Muslims in the Quran, is a world that actually is, um, in some sense established.
0: Um,
1: So the Quran has a six-day creation narrative. Now, there are some people who think that there's a contradiction between the six days and another area of the Quran where it suggests there's eight days, but that's actually probably more of a grammatical thing, not not necessarily an actual contradiction. Um, But it describes this. How it describes it in terms of whether days means 24 hours or whatever, that's a familiar thing, right? Yeah. it talks about, um, the, the Qur'an talks about signs being estab- established, like these are perpetual signs for you, uh, that these are things that always exist, so you'll always know right. uh, that Allah is God. Um, so in the text of the Qur'an, it's clear that things should be predictable. But in the theology of what we're talking about, there seems to be a tension with, but why?
0: Yeah,
1: um, Because if Allah's will can be whatever it want, He wants it to be at that particular moment... Um, why should it be predictable at all? Right. Uh, but um, I think most Muslims rely on the text as opposed to sort of a, right. uh, a speculation. Having said that, um, of course, as a Christian, I believe that, uh, I think science is relied or relies upon the predictability right. of the laws of nature and all these things. But we have to contend with the fact that, and Muslims would be okay with this, by the way, we have to contend with the fact that we don't always believe that. I mean, there's mm-hmm. this one time this one guy rose from the dead. And right. they tend not to do that, um, right. and so we do believe that sometimes the, the order, the, the, the order is interrupted, right. um, not in some capricious way, but it's it's interrupted by the one who is a master of those laws. Um, so I, I want to be careful as to not say it's always predictable, right. uh, but its predictability actually leads us to know whether something's a miracle or not, right. because it's the kind of thing that interrupts. And Muslims believe in miracles too. Uh, chief of which is the Quran, but they also have a bunch of miracle stories and as well. So um, I'd say in a la- large respect there is a lot of commonality there, right. but I think with Islam that doesn't exist in Christianity is this tension between God's capriciousness and the inability to know right. him through and through and a revealed sense of order. In Christianity, you don't have that tension yeah. because you can know him and he is exp- explicit about the created order being something right. that can be relied upon and so there's a compatibility in the Christian faith that I th- where I think there's a tension in the Islamic view.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And and to be fair, you know, I know a lot of Muslims mm. who who are scientists, who are engineers, yeah. you know, very highly accomplished mm-hmm. in those areas, mm-hmm. uh, very impressive mm-hmm. in terms of uh, their technical mastery and of course you know in the history of islam there's that the golden age right yeah. where i don't know 7 800 years maybe it's islam a long time. yeah was you know the, the 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 you know the islamic scholars were developing some pretty impressive insights into mm-hmm. the world across mm-hmm. the board across the across mm-hmm. disciplines yep. many of which still Live with us today, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in in mathematics. Yeah, Al-
1: Al- algebra is named after Al Jabbar, yeah. um, who sort of developed the idea. There is some debate about whether or not the Muslims were trading on some of the Greeks' stuff uh, and some of the med- some medieval thinkers. But the point isn't whether they invented it or not. The point was they were uh, right. the project. They they. they, they um, expanded this kind of stuff. And a lot of them were innovators. I mean, we have one of the most powerful arguments for God's existence called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. And that word Kalam comes from the word, the Arabic word, word, actually. The, The word Kalam means word in Arabic. And it's derived from this idea and you can see the commonality here with, with with the Christian faith, is that the Quran says that God merely needs to say something, be, and it is. Um, so he, with, what a, with with a word, he can call something into existence, um, and that's how the universe is created through the power of God's word, as it were. Now, what word means exactly, of course, is a bit right. of a mystery, uh, but we can understand this, and, and of course, we can. Say, and God said, right. "Let there be light," and God said, and God said so the powerful argument of the kalam is um was uh popularized and really developed by al-ghazali and um these folks are the ones who these muslim thinkers were the ones who popularized these ideas and ghazali had very sophisticated ideas on the views of infinity like the reason why he actually can come to the conclusion that everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And he actually, in a sophisticated way, responded to some of the detractors who were saying, well, can it just have an infinite number of regresses? Well, you have an infinite number of things in the past. And the Ghazali brilliantly said, no, because we have a now. We're all, no one doubts that now exists. If you have an infinite number of instances in the past, then that means you can never start counting to now because there's an infinite number in the past. And so it's actually ridiculous to think of an actual infinite series of events in a temporal sense because you can never get to now, but here we are. So these are the kind of sophisticated levels of thinking. Um, Now, is that science? It's no, it's more philosophy. But science is baked into that whole thing. Right. Uh, and so you have some really sophisticated arguments that were developed, and they've stepped the test of time. That argument has lasted centuries, and yeah. it lasts today. It's one of the most powerful arguments we have today for God's existence.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 So then just uh, in, in your opinion, mm-hmm. what led to the kind of the waning of, yeah. of science in Islam?
1: Yeah. You know, and there, 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 is some, there is some scholarship on this uh, where um, – there was this fear, because you know one of the one of the uh, big fears in Islam is the idea of innovation. So when you whenever you do um, Quranic uh, commentary, commentary, which is called tafsir, tafsir is the is is just like we do we do commentaries and we have biblical scholarship on passages and what they mean and all that stuff. Muslims do the same thing with the Quran, um, and one of the big worries about this and the the things you're constantly terrified of, frankly, is what's called innovation, where you either interpret the Qur'an wrongly and therefore create some doctrine that isn't necessarily um, orthodox, or you rely on other sources to inform you about what the Qur'an actually means. And that's innovation too, because that other source, let's say it's science. So let's say there's some discovery or some scientific view on something. And you say, see, that proves what the Quran is saying. And then that discovery is proven to be maybe not as not quite as good as we once thought it was, or it's overturned later. Um, now you've, what have you've you done? You've proven the Quran wrong. So there's a lot of worry about that and saying we can't rely on outside sources. This is the source of all truth. That stuff might be convenient in our daily lives, but let us not forget that this is the source of ultimate truth. And so um, uh, that got carried to an extreme level where it was... Therefore, all these things can be bad, mm-hmm. um, and that stagnated uh, scientific development and I think philosophical development in the Islamic world. Um, now, I want to be fair. I don't think this is actually accurate. But if I were, if if someone who is still a Muslim was sitting on the other side of this table, they might say, "Well, what really stagnated it was white Western colonialism <laughs> and uh, the Roman Empire, and then." the Holy Roman Catholic Church, and they're the ones who stagnated it. I don't think that's actually philosoph- uh, historically accurate, but um, I wanna make sure that that's a view that's out there. So yeah. I don't wanna present only one side of it. That's a view that's out there. Yeah. But I do think that there was, and even today, you find it today in the Salafi movement. So the Salafis are like, go back to the original, the, 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 the Islam of Muhammad, so to speak. And um, <clears throat> they're a minority position, but they're very powerful. Uh, and in fact, they can become violent. Uh, so, for example, they persecute Shia Muslims quite a bit uh, because that's an innovation. It's a sect of Islam, but it's an innovation. Um, they will. Uh, uh, th- those are the ones who form ISIS and who form all these Islamic terrorist groups. Um, can come out of the Salafi tradition. Not all Salafis are like that, but some of them can be. My point is is that that group actually has a sort of a reactionary view on innovation in science even today like in the 21st century we have people who have a, a disdain for these kinds of things uh, because it's it just innovation and elevating something to the level of authority of of, of the dictation of God's Word in the Quran. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big it's a huge part of it yeah and it still persists yeah, yeah.
0: so that wouldn't necessarily be, a fundamental worldview issue then. It's yeah. more It's more. maybe a, a, an interpretive movement or something.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, because, the, the hard part, because what you have is you have this tension with what the Quran actually seems to be saying, which is like, um, for everyone, Muslims or non-Muslims alike, there are clear signs that seem to suggest that Allah is God. And if that's the case there's an implication that you should look up what those signs actually are. In other words, um, one might get the impression that, from the text that those things exist, and you don't understand them, and that's enough. You don't understand them, and your effort to understand them is an effort to play God, and so get away from that. Those are signs. Stars in the sky, mountains uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, the, the, the Quranic... Text seems to suggest that they form the pillars of the stability of the Earth, which we now know is actually the opposite. Um, but um, those things are signs of God's power and God's majesty, and so some would say, don't even look into that stuff because you're trying to play mm-hmm. God. Others would say, well, the Quranic text implies you should look into it because if it's a sign, how do you know it's a sign unless you get impressed by it? Yeah. So there's this tension. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Now that that leads us to, I think the the next thing I want to mm-hmm. to discuss, which is. The, the common ground that exists between Christians and Muslims regarding really scientific arguments for God's existence, something mm-hmm. that uh, as I got into Christian apologetics, you know, again, working in the arena of science, I began, because of my name, mm-hmm. began to encounter a lot of Muslims who really liked mm-hmm. the work that I was doing, yeah. right? Yeah. and And I have a lot of People that follow me on social media that are my social media friends that are from the Islamic world, mm-hmm. who thankfully you know promote yeah. <laughs> promote my work,
1: yeah, okay. right? <laughs> right?
0: And and I and I you know I had the privilege of going three years in a row to Istanbul, mm-hmm. uh, to working with a group of Islamic creationists, putting on conferences on scientific evidence for God, mm-hmm. God's existence, and mm-hmm. and we agreed to do that. Uh, because it opened up some really incredible opportunities just to talk about Christianity. I'm yeah. I've got a friend who has a YouTube channel finding truth mm-hmm. uh, Ahmed Esra from mm-hmm. Egypt who mm-hmm. you know he and I share almost uh, we're almost kindred spirits in terms of the the our view of science and yeah. the evidence that comes from science mm-hmm. you know so so to me that's that's very interesting yeah you know that that's a, a place of common ground. Uh, but again, it it leads me to ask some questions because in Christianity, that idea that there's scientific evidence for God's existence mm-hmm. uh, naturally flows out of the text. God has made Himself known to us
1: mm-hmm.
0: through the record of nature, right? This is mm-hmm. part of God's revelation to us. Right. And in and yet in Islam, my persp- understanding is God is unknowable. Yeah. And so again, I, I see what appears to be naively a contradiction probably mm. more attention mm. you know but but you know to me this is this is interesting because you know both christianity and islam would view god as being personal and transcendent yes and so endemic in that view of God is Mm -hmm. God is hidden from us, right? When people complain about God's hiddenness, to me, it's like, well, of course God is hidden Mm -hmm. because he's transcendent,
1: right? Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely.
0: But what's radical, I think, in Christianity is God has chosen to make himself known to us, Mm -hmm. and not only that he exists, but something about who he is, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: independent of the Old and the New Testaments, mm-hmm. right, yeah. through through creation, through what's written on our hearts, mm-hmm. right, through God's providential care, even through human nature because we're image bearers. Mm-hmm. And, and so this seems, this idea of having scientific evidence for God makes a lot of sense to me in a mm-hmm. Christian perspective, but yeah. it, I, I'm somewhat um, bewildered at times about how Muslims could in, embrace that same evidence with yeah. that same vigor, maybe even more vigor, than, yeah. than, than, than evangelicals and other Christians.
1: Yeah, so that's, it, that's interesting you say it that way, because um, I think I, it's at least a tension, if not a contradiction, it's at least a tension. Um, so uh, a good friend of mine, Richard Schumack, wrote a really great, great book. The, the title is interesting all by itself. It's called The Wisdom of Islam and the Foolishness of Christianity. Now, he's a Christian. Okay. Uh, he's a Christian philosopher. And what he's trying to actually point out is that he's using that, and he juxtaposes those ideas to say, really, um, Christianity has such wisdom in the way it's actually expressed that it, it, it actually instantiates the things that Muslims wish were true about Islam. Um, so what, 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 one of the things he talks about is, is a lot of these ideas about signs, and these things are, are predictors uh, or, or point—not or, or predictors, they're signposts to, to God, that Allah is God. Well, one of the things that Richard points out, and others have pointed this out as well, is one, you look at the Islamic sources on commentaries on the Quran, and as I think I quoted before, is the one thing you can know about God is that you can't know God. That's a Muslim saying that. Um, now, there are certain strands of Islam, the Sufis, for example, right. which are very mystical, who think that's the whole point of Islam, is to know God and become almost consumed by him, like a moth is consumed by a flame. Um, But that's a minority position, and it's not considered necessarily mainstream or orthodox. So we want to deal with sort of the mainstream and orthodox is they can't know about God. They can't know him intimately. So the Quran suggests and the Muslim sources suggest that there are signs in creation that point to God's existence. But you don't really know anything about the character of that God other than he's powerful and he's creative, and you should submit. Those are the three things you can know, essentially. As I read the sources, those are the three things you can know about God, but that's isn't knowing about that, that's knowing about God, but it's not knowing God. Right. And that's the fundamental difference. In a Muslim perspective, you can know about God, but you can't ever, ever actually know Him. There's no level of transcendent, um, uh, sorry, of um, imminence. And I don't mean imminence in terms of it's inevitable. I mean like presence. Yeah. Um, you can't really have that with God in Islam. Um, because he just, where he's so, he's so wholly other, that there's no way to bridge the the gap between us and him. Um. So it, it is mystifying. It, there, there is a tension there, and I think it's something we can bring up with our Muslim friends. But your your, your other point is well taken as well, is that given the mystif- the, 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 sort of mystifying nature of it, why are Muslims so eager to point to scientific evidence uh, as if it validates uh, God's existence? Here's how I've come to—I've I wrestled with this myself. Here's how I've come to view it. Yeah, looking back at my own experience, too, because I used to use— like, the Quran says this, and science says this now, and there's no way Muhammad could have known that in 7th century Arabia, um, and yet we know it now, and so that's evidence that this must have right. come from God. Um, uh, and there's a number of issues with that, but one of the reasons why, why I think I can do that, I, I did that as a Muslim, is that what it—in a Muslim mind, I think what, what this does is, if, if you can show that science— that there are signs of something transcendent. You don't need to be a Muslim to believe that this world appears to be designed, and Mm -hmm. the design appears to work really, really well, Mm -hmm. and things seem to fit well, and so there's this sort of natural theology that Muslims would aspire to and ascribe to, and that shows you that a god exists. Now the question is, is it this particular god? And the Mm -hmm. Qur'an seems to suggest that there are signs that show you that Allah, the God of the Qur'an, is God the text doesn't actually give you a good reason to believe that. Like, why not just a god? Why this particular one? What a Muslim might say back, whether this is a good argument or not is not the issue, what they might say back is, well, the Quran is God's revealed text, and if it says things that only God could have known at the time, then it shows you that the Quran is God's revealed will. And so you can know God to only the extent the Quran tells you about him. So you see how it how it works right. is like, yeah. I can know him in a limited sense, a very limited sense, right. um, in terms of I can know his will. Muslims have said, uh, numerous Muslims have said, that God is not in Islam so much a person to be encountered, but as a will to be obeyed. Yeah. Now, they believe God is a person, In other words, he has personhood and personality, but they don't believe that we can actually know him personally. We just know his will. So the argument goes like this. Creation is ordered. Creation couldn't have gotten here by itself. Something had to create it. There are signs within that creation that point to the Quran, and the Quran points to who God is. Yeah. Um, And that's how you get there. Yeah. I think is a fundamental uh, contrast to the way a Christian would look at it, and you you laid it out so beautifully. I would say there's one additional step is when in Hebrews we we read we read the verse that says that in various times and in diverse ways God has revealed Himself to us through His prophets, but in these last days He's revealed Himself to us through His Son. Right. So not only do you have creation, not only do you have the the book of nature as it were that reveals to us that a God exists, then you have the the teleological arguments that show that choices were made. So you have a personal God, not just a force of creation, but a personal God. And then you have the moral argument, which shows us that a moral God exists. And then you have um, uh, various reasons why you can see in the scriptures, in the Christian scriptures, that this particular God exists. And then you have in the revelation of God through his son, what it's like to know him personally. Yeah. And so the funnel gets more and more specific in right. Christianity. So science and historical inquiry and philosophy all meld together to give us a very specific right. picture of a God who's chosen to bridge the unbridgeable gap. Right. Um, whereas Islam leaves us with God exists, it's an unbridgeable gap, and yeah. that's all there is to it. Yeah. Uh, so I think personally... This is speculation on my part, you know, Fuzz. But um, I can tell you from my own experience as a Muslim, the effort to justify God's existence or to um, argue for God's existence through the Quran and through other means and use science to do that is an attempt to actually know God. Mm. And even if the sources don't allow you to know God, there's the human desire to want to know Him.
0: Yeah. And
1: so this, I think, is the beautiful bridge where the work you guys mm-hmm. do, for example, and the partnerships you guys have will allow you to, um, to uh, satisfy an affinity that Muslims have. Right. They love science. They love the created order. They love all this stuff. And there's an inherent need to want to know God. Right. But there's this barrier, it seems. The Bible and science, and when you see the compatibility, it breaks that barrier, and I think Mm -hmm. that's a tremendous good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting to me. um, I almost am hesitant to bring up this point because what you just (laughs) described there was so beautiful and so powerful. (laughs) You know, and and I I I hope I don't detract from that. No, no, no. But you know, it's interesting to me, and and I want to be very careful when I say this, but I do actually see some similarities in what you're describing. Mm and our friends at the discovery institute who mm-hmm. are promoting intelligent design mm-hmm. where they're very careful mm-hmm. as a movement to say look the evidence points to design mm-hmm. we're really agnostic or silent on who we think that designer is mm-hmm. now personally people will yeah. acknowledge that they're christians yeah. that they hold some of them hold to an old earth perspective mm-hmm. so they're open about that but as a movement
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know and, and and as i've read their content and interacted with some of the people in the, the Discovery Institute who I consider to be friends, yeah. you know, it, oftentimes they'll say, well, the nature of who God is is theological, it's not really scientific.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, I would disagree with that, and I would also maybe challenge my Muslim friends in this way too, is that I don't think science just simply tells us that there is a, a, a transcendent personal God, mm-hmm. but I think it, it, we can even go further and determine who that god very well might be. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And and the reason I say that is because when I look at archaeology or when I look at the work of SETI, and I've actually modeled an argument for for God's existence from what archaeologists do and what SETI does, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in terms of the criteria they use to establish the work of intelligent agency. So, for example, an archaeologist will pick up a rock and say, well... This rock clearly was shaped by an some kind of quote-unquote intelligent agent, a hominin, mm-hmm. right, as opposed to natural forces. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are ways in which they kind of check off boxes to draw that conclusion. Yeah. But then they can go one step further and they say, well, we can actually tell you something about the capabilities of this hominin, what its cognitive abilities were, what its manual dexterity was. Yeah. We can even get insight into its motivations. Why was it making this tool? Mm-hmm. What was it being used for? Mm-hmm. So, so science isn't really limited to just saying there's a designer. It actually tells us quite a bit about who that designer is. And, and I think by s- similar token, you know, to say that there is a beginning to the universe, well, that means there must be a transcendent cause. Mm-hmm. There's design, that means it must be personal. Mm-hmm. When you go to biology... You see, you know, these um, shared designs, there's a universality to life at a a molecular level, cellular level, Mm -hmm. anatomical and physiological level. So that suggests there's probably a single designer, Mm -hmm. not a a, a cohort of designers Mm -hmm. to to respond to one of David Hume's criticisms, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You know, we see Mm -hmm. constancies in the laws of nature. Mm -hmm. That suggests something about the character of God being unchanging, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, and, and so you can begin to see where I'm going with this, that yeah. it's it actually is telling us something about God's nature. And then, of course, there is this really eerie, you know, I, I think it's eerie at least, mm-hmm. this eerie resonance between what we do as human designers and what we see in nature. Yeah. And the more that we study, particularly particularly biochemistry, the more and more we're seeing this relationship between human technology and in biochemical designs, mm-hmm. where our technology helps us to interpret what's going on inside the cell, mm-hmm. and then y- what we see inside the cell is inspiring new technology. Mm-hmm. That suggests that there's something about us
1: mm-hmm.
0: that we share with, with God, right? Which
1: goes back to that made in his image thing, which, by the way, is not an Islamic idea. Right. Well, it would be considered almost blasphemous to say we are made in his image. I think it's not blasphemous but because they misunderstand it, but it's not an Islamic idea. Right. So I think that distinction is really important to make, is that what you're leading to is so uh, specifically— I love the way it, it, it does lead you to— you know, Peter Berger has this wonderful phrase, signals of transcendence. I love mm-hmm. that phrase because it, like, it sounds like crystals— Falling, signals of transcendence. You know, it's it doesn't give you the whole picture, but it's a signal of it. Right. So I, you know, we have to be careful, of course, to, to right. do a sort of Christian version of scientism, where science explains everything. Right. Because um, theology does play a part to it. I right. mean, I love the fact that Ken Samples is one of your scholars here, right. um, and he's a a, 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 a theologian and a philosopher, and he thinks through these things. You have this queen of sciences, and you have si- you know, hard sciences, putting okay. putting them together. I I, I love the way you said that just now. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I was so impressed with the whole idea of there's that our technology reveals, allows us to see the created order, and then the created order inspires our technology. And what a reciprocal way to think of us made in God's image. Like That's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, and I guess my point is, you know, oftentimes I will hear, well, why would you say it's the God of the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? And, And so this is why, is that, that that science directs us in that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and and there's things that we can also to infer, like God God must love us because mm-hmm. of his providential care. Mm-hmm. You know, it's remarkable to me that built into creation, you know, are are things that we would need. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you can go to a rainforest in the tropics, mm-hmm. find a a rare plant, mm-hmm. and isolate compounds from there that just happen to be <laughs> ideal to, to treat cancer right mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's stuff like that it's not and this isn't an oddity this is you know
1: it's prevalent
0: it's prevalent yeah. right there's there are you know there's a, a whole branch of mm-hmm. you know pharmacology now called ethnopharmacology where mm-hmm. you're re- relying on the insights of indigenous people mm-hmm. to develop new medicines yeah. but that insight is coming from the fact that they're utilizing these Plants that have compounds in them that right. actually have you know efficacy in treating diseases. Yeah, the,
1: the 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 implication of provision, of intentional provision, is hard to it's hard to avoid, yeah. right? It just seems like this has been right. provided for you. Right. Yeah, right. that's yeah, right. absolutely. Um, you know, it's I, I was thinking about um, uh, Hebrews chapter eleven. You know, and oftentimes we have this. You know, in, depending on your version of the Bible, it gets a little bit. Uh, Uh, it becomes almost a weapon against Christianity, you know, the whole, you know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, um, which I think is the King James version of it, but you have, I think, better translations which say, you know, like the ESV, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not the evidence of things not seen, but the conviction of things not seen. And then what I love is the way the writer to Hebrews, to Hebrews completes this and keeps going on with this, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation, and then he says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, kalam, um, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I find that to be not a developed cosmology, but a sophisticated idea of cosmology is that what we do see was made by things that aren't seen. If you look at the standard model for um, uh, the Big Bang, uh, uh, the standard model of of the universe's creation, um, matter, energy, space, and time can't create themselves. So the thing that creates everything is immaterial, enormously powerful, spaceless, and timeless. It sounds like the things that matter, energy, space, and time, the things that were created or that were seen, were made out of things that were not seen or not visible sounds remarkably close to what the standard model actually teaches. Um, And even if the model is wrong, you still have the idea of God being a necessary being philosophically speaking. Um, So my point in bringing this up is that that the scriptures are so um, uh, helpful and specific about the kind of God you would expect to see if the universe were created by God. God. Mm -hmm. And then... The sign seems to point us in, in, in this direction. So it's not just any old God; it's yeah. a specific kind of God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah so yeah, and again, that, that specificity to me is intriguing in light of yeah. Islam's claims, in light of the, our claims of our friends at the Discovery Institute, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, in, in, in light of the challenges that skeptics will level our way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that that leads us. I, I, I that reading that passage and in pointing out its its connection to really Big Bang mm-hmm. cosmology, mm-hmm. Uh, leads us to really the next topic and the, f- yeah. the final uh, point of discussion, and that is, you know, the, the scientific accuracy of the Old and New Testaments mm-hmm. and the scientific accuracy of the Quran, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I work for an organization where our bread and butter is mm-hmm. showing that that Scripture uh, is scientifically accurate. Mm-hmm. In, in, uh, that we see, we look for, we we hold, we uh, proudly uh, embrace the label of, con- of a concordist, mm-hmm. which is someone who looks for kind of a, the mm-hmm. the concordance between the discoveries of science and what we see in the creation accounts. Yeah. And this idea is controversial among, you know, Christian theologians yeah. for for obvious it, for some good reasons. I mm-hmm. wouldn't say obvious, but for some good reasons. Uh, but yet, I, I think it is possible if you're responsible and you're careful to really recognize that there's the Bible isn't a science book, but when it does make reference to things that are under the purview of science, the concepts in Scripture seem to be spot on Mm -hmm. and and, and harmonize with what we see in science, in some instances almost anticipate what science has discovered, and of course that gives us confidence that that, that scripture is true and so the question is does the quran enjoy that same level of scientific accuracy and yeah. i my friend you know ahmed eshra who mm-hmm. again has the channel finding truth you know he's he's a remarkable person very bright extremely well read mm-hmm. and it's not unusual for him to he he has a lot of the quran memorized he'll yeah. just from memory mm-hmm. in arabic recite a, a surah and then yeah. or a passage from a surah, and then' will, you
1: know, e- upon expound it and upon it expound upon it yeah.
0: and show, wow, it seems like the Quran displays this this scientific accuracy. yeah and uh, and i I met when I was in in Istanbul uh, an Italian uh, scholar mm-hmm. uh, who converted from Catholicism to Islam. And when I asked him why, he said, well, the scientific accuracy of the Quran. so, that concept is out there. Yeah. And and so the question is, you know, is the Quran really scientifically accurate?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's – so it's something that um, can be impressive. You know, the, the, one of the most seminal books on this was by a, uh, a French doctor uh, named uh, Maurice Bucaille. Yeah. I, I don't know how to say his name actually, his last name. So for our French-speaking friends, I probably murdered that. Um, <clears throat> but he has this book called um, – uh, science, uh, science, the Bible and the Quran, and all this, and he talks about this this long thing about how all these things seem to suggest that this, the, the Quran has this scientific accuracy. And the issue isn't just that it has accuracy; is that it's accuracy unknown to the scientists or the, 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 the thinkers of the day. Yeah. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment here. The Quran is actually revealed, according to Muslims, 700 years after the the Christian era starts. So you have 700 years of an accumulated knowledge. You're going to have a couple of things that are going to be borrowed. You're just going to have that. But some of the things aren't all that impressive. Um, and a lot of Muslims are starting to acknowledge this, by the way. Uh, in fact, a lot of academic Muslims really don't go here anymore. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I was talking to my friend Richard Shumack about some of the recent turns in popular apologetics with, with Islam. There's a guy named Ali Dawah um, who is a po- has a popular YouTube channel. And he basically says Muslims start to steer away from using science to confirm the Quran because I think he's been made uncomfortable by some recent discoveries that suggest that it's not so accurate after all. So what he says is – and I get the argument. I totally get it. He's saying, look, science is provisional. And what he means by that I think is – in the right sense of the word provisional. But science is provisional. People hold these conclusions provisionally because new theories, new ideas, new things will come to light that either will debunk the old theory or modify it. And so if you're relying on a provisional thing to understand a unchanging, non-provisional book, you're going to get contradictions at some point. And then those things, if, if those are the evidences you use to bolster the Quran, when they change, they can be used to debunk it. And so I understand the argument, and it's more of a tactical thing, But he's becoming increasingly uncomfortable with this kind of thing. Um, And tacit in his discomfort is the fact that modern science is sort of showing that maybe some of the things we thought were accurate aren't. Or there is concordism within Islam. And there's a lot of it, a ton of it, um, where Muslims will read something. um, And and it's not bad. I'm not not against concordism. The overuse of it is the issue, as, as, as as we've talked about before, is... When you take something and you read into a text something it's not actually saying so that it sounds scientific. Um, the, the example I get is <clears throat> when in the story of uh, ants that are in the path of Solomon. Solomon is, is marching and ants actually get out of the way. Um, they talk to each other and they say, Solomon's coming. We have to move because he'll crush us. Um and it's like, see, that, that's a prediction of the way ants uh, communicate, you know, through pheromones and these kind of things. And uh, this is a discussion. This is a, 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 a clear sign of something scientific that no one knows. Well, I have two, two responses to that. First, anybody who's observed ants for five minutes just by observing them knows they communicate. I mean, there's a colony, for heaven's sake. It's not like, yeah. you know, spiders that just live alone. And not all of them do, but that live alone and, you know, all that. These are and they clearly have a path, and they clearly have a destination, and they eat the food, and they transport the food. It doesn't take a genius to know ants communicate. But this passage is not meant to communicate the idea of how they, or how they communicate. It's just giving a, f- a very fable-like story where do the ants really communicate and think that's a human I've rationalized my idea that that's a human being. That that human being has a name, by the way, and that that human being will crush us if we let him, uh, if we if we stay in his path. Ants don't think that way, um, and so if it's being proposed as a scientifically accurate way to think about ant communication, it's inaccurate. Rather, the more charitable way to look at that from the Quranic standpoint is that it's not meant to convey anything scientific. So it's not a contradiction because it's not meant to convey something scientific. Right. Right. But that's the kind of concordism you see oftentimes with Muslims, I yeah. think, who are overzealous to show that the Quran says right. something scientific when it doesn't. And Christians are guilty of the same thing yes, oftentimes. Yes. Um, um, <clears throat> but I think that the, the Bible has more of a, a justification. Yep. For believing that, like I, I've heard you say, and I, I look at it more and more, and I'm I'm, const- I'm I'm more and more impressed with you know biomimetics, the idea that we solve engineering problems by looking at nature, and then you see in Job chapter twelve yeah. this whole thing. But look at the beasts of the air, I, right. the bir- the beasts and the birds of the air, and they will teach you. And I'm like, well, my goodness, right? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there are inaccuracies as well that I think have to be contended with. Muslims have to contend with these things, right. um, and they're starting to. Um, example is, and I, and I was looking up just now the specific reference in the Quran, and so I couldn't find it fast enough, uh, but um, it's in one of the 80s, in, in one of the, uh, 82 or 86, one of the surahs of the Quran, where it, des- it describes embryology yes. and birth and where human beings come from. And the, 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 the verse, this is a, a paraphrase, is something, does man not know from what, from what he comes? He is created from a drop emitted from between the backbone and the ribs that's not true. I mean, it's just not. There's there's nothing from between the backbone and the ribs that emits anything that results in a human being. Um, And so that seems to be just a scientific problem. Um, The response, by the way, has been from a lot of Muslims, is the words for backbone and ribs are taraib, up here, uh, the backbone and the ribs, and sulb, um, sorry, the, the the ribs are and the sulb is the backbone, and these are these these mean masculine and feminine. So uh, uh, human beings created from okay. something emitted between from the, between the masculine and the feminine, and all that. Well, I have two responses to that. First, I don't think it really means that. Second, let's say it does mean that. There's two problems. The first problem is that that's not a scientifically accurate. That's not a scientific statement that no one knew. Everyone knows human beings come from between men and women. Right. So it's not that impressive of a statement. Right. Maybe it wasn't intended to be. Right. Uh, but if it was intended to be an impressive statement, it's not that impressive. Right. Second, human beings are not created from a drop emitted from between them. Yeah. It's the union of something right. in one person's body, not in both their bodies or not between their bodies. Right. So there's some pretty serious issues there. Um, the Quran describes the sun setting in a pool of muddy water. As an example, the Qur'an describes mountains as being pillars upon which the stability of the earth is dependent. Well, we now know that mountains are actually created by tectonic shifts, which is the instability of the crust of the earth. So these are things Muslims have to contend with and, and try to understand. Yeah. Um, and if they say, okay, this is a factual statement, well, then you have to deal with the fact that science seems to suggest it's not. And by the way, that tectonic plates thing, that's not provisional. No one thinks, hey, we're going to find something that's going to radically shift our view of plate tectonics. Um, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, uh, so Muslims have to contend with that. And maybe the answer is those weren't meant to be scientific statements. Right. Great, then stop saying they are. Right. Um, and if they're not, okay, I can live with that. They seem to suggest very factual things. Right. So there's some, there's some issues there. I think yeah. there are some. And, and we're trying to be as sensitive as we possibly can because this is a sacred text to billions of people. Right. Or at least one and a half billion. It kind of depends on who you ask. Um, but at the same time, these are challenges that Christians have been able to face for a long time. And a, sort of a denouement to this sort of rant that I'm on right now is – the Christian faith allows for you to actually take a look at the scriptures, examine them, and either say, "Look, I have a problem with this," and wrestle with it. And when I say Christian faith, I mean Christendom. Historically, we've had our heretics burned at the stakes, and we've had that stuff. I mean, we're not we're not perfect, not even close. Um, but I think, especially in modern Christendom, we have this ability to question the text itself, or to see maybe that lines up with something. Or maybe we're reading too much into it. We had that freedom to do it. I think that um, Muslims need to to foster that level of freedom amongst themselves to be able to take a look at their text and say, what does it really mean? Are we taking it too far? Is our zealousness to propagate Islam going too far? Or are we just wrong about some stuff? Um, I think you'll have... A surge forward, I think, in, in in satisfaction. It'll be uncomfortable. These things are uncomfortable. Yeah. But you'd be willing to be uncomfortable in order to find us to, to to complete your search for truth, or to actually continue on your search for truth.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a <laughs> a fascinating discussion. Yeah. At least for me, it has. Me too. And and I and I appreciate that. And mm. I think maybe you know, if I have a closing thought, I'd love to hear your mm-hmm. your summation. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know. I've come to appreciate over the years just from a Christian perspective how complex Mm -hmm. trying to interact with science can be Mm -hmm. because it involves issues with biblical interpretation, um, theology, philosophy, Mm -hmm. science, you know, the philosophy of science, the discoveries of science, as you point out the provisional nature of science, Mm -hmm. and very good people can reach very different conclusions You know, so it's not a, an, an easy exercise, and I think as Christians we want to extend the same grace <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. towards towards Muslims. Yes, indeed. And, and I know again, I've I've just discovered that there's real friendships that can develop between Christians and Muslims when you you seek uh, common ground relating to to science. There's a lot of points of agreement, and when that common ground is discovered, I find that it Becomes much less threatening mm-hmm. to talk about differences mm-hmm. and, and in in productive ways. Yeah. That's just been my experience.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, and if I were just to take a a self interested view on this, um, and I hesitate to actually add to that because that was really quite good, um, but um, I I I think in a self interested way, some of the most brilliant thinkers and innovators and scientists of our day are Muslims, and so. To build walls would just be, uh, would be be self-destructive. We need to benefit from their insight. We need to benefit from their intelligence. We need to um, have an exchange of ideas. And if we build walls, and religious walls are very tough to scale once you create them. Theological walls are very tough to scale once you create them. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not differences. Of course there are. But I don't like the, um, the idea of building walls just for walls' sake. Rather, we come and we, we we build platforms upon which we can both stand. Now, that doesn't mean we agree on everything. My, my metaphor isn't necessarily a bridge; it's a platform. So we build a common platform, and we're going to jump off now. And there are various pools of water, sort of like a high dive act. There are various pools of water we can jump into. Some pools have no water whatsoever, and some pools don't have enough. I would suggest only one pool has enough water. And what we do with our Muslim friends is that we come on this common platform of a belief that God can be noble in some degree, some sense. And science is a a method by which we can know something about the created order and share some information together. Um, Then we can build that common platform together and then discover, look down and say, which pool has the water? And so we actually walk to the edge of the platform together and then jump together, hopefully. Into the one pool that has enough, yeah. but the platform has to be built first, and yeah. that's why I love the endeavor of uh, taking objective things uh, uh, you know whether it's from, you know things that are and I, I realize it's provisional, but things that can be known physics, chemistry, biology, and come together on these things, build this platform, stand together and say we found the pool that's the one pool let's jump into that one
0: yeah yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being with us. (laughs) This has been a lot of fun. A pleasure. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Star Cells and God. Love to hear your comments. Uh, So take advantage of the comment section and just let us know what you think, what your ideas are, how you react to our conversation. Also, remember that if you uh, want to get more videos like this, go to our YouTube channel, Reasons to Believe, and subscribe. Use the notification button so that you're alerted when the next episode of Star Cells and God drops. And also remember your favorite podcast app can be used to subscribe to Star Cells and God as well. Uh, Remember to share this video with your friends. And finally, I just want to close with this well-known statement. The more we know about science, the more we have reasons to believe. Until next time.